You're listening to After Images, a podcast for cinephiles that takes a deep dive into moving images. Each episode features a special guest who is invited to explore a film of their choice. After Images is hosted by film writers Franck Bouleg and Marisa C. Hayes. For our first episode, we are delighted to welcome author and film critic Ramsey Campbell. He's been writing for over 50 years in his native Merseyside and is regarded as one of the finest living horror writers with over 30 published novels, including his first book, The Doll Who Ate His Mother, which was published in 1976, The Darkest Part of the Woods, 2003, and a recent anthology of film criticism, Ramsey's Rambles, published this year. His forthcoming novel, The Lonely Lands, will be published in 2023, giving us all something to look forward to in the new year. For today's episode, Ramsey Campbell has selected the film Night of the Demon, Jacques Tourner's 1957 feature-length film based on M.R. James's short story, Casting the Runes. In the film's adaptation, the story opens with a professor named Harrington, Morris Denham, begging occultist Julian Carswell, played by Niall McGuinness, to resend the curse that's been placed upon him. Professor Harrington drives home, where a giant fire-breathing demon appears from the nearby woods. Backing the car into an electric power line, Harrington dies and the audience is left to wonder if the demon truly exists or if the power of suggestion is behind this freak accident. Enter the American professor John Holden, played by Dana Andrews, who has arrived in London to meet Professor Harrington at a conference where Carswell's satanic cult was scheduled to be exposed. Learning of his colleague's untimely death, Holden follows a trail of mysterious manuscripts and encounters with the enigmatic Carswell. Holden finds himself the recipient of the same curse, which is transmitted by passing a runic parchment. Although he remains a skeptical man of science, time is running out and Holden learns that the curse may be broken by passing the runic parchment back to the original bestower. A final sleight of hand transpires between Holden and Carswell on a moving train with the runic parchment finally written to Carswell. The demon makes one final appearance and Carswell is found dead on the train tracks, though Holden remains unsure of what he has witnessed. Maybe it's better not to know, he remarks at the film's conclusion. Night of the Demon was released in British cinemas in 1957 and across the Atlantic the same year, with the slightly altered American title, Curse of the Demon. The film was often presented as a popular double feature in both countries. Since its release, Night of the Demon has consistently been cited as an important film and has been the subject of numerous pop cultural references, including the opening song of the Rocky Horror Picture Show, in which Richard O'Brien wrote the cheeky wordplay, Dana Andrews said prunes gave him the runes, and passing them used lots of skills. Kate Bush has cited the film as a personal favorite and samples a line from Professor Harrington during the opening of her song, Hounds of Love. It's in the trees. It's coming. Ramsey Campbell, thank you so much for joining us today for our very first episode ever. Hey, my pleasure, my pleasure. Night of the Demon is, is clearly a film that has really touched the collective unconscious. Can you tell us today why you chose the film for this discussion and, and how you first discovered the film? Well, the simple answer of the first bit is I love it. It's the horror film I most love in, in the world. And I fell in love with it when I was 14 years old. Now, I should explain that in Britain in those days, um, 
virtually every horror movie had an X certificate, which meant basically you had to be, or at least seem to be, uh, at least 16 years old before you could get in to see them. I mean, this was even true of, say, Plan 9 from Outer Space or the Giant Claw, you know, so there you go. Um, well, 14 years old, I was, I was able to bluff my way past the, the box office, and Night of the Demon was one of the very first films I saw. As you say, uh, it was frequently, I think pretty well always actually programmed, uh, usually the bottom half of a double bill. Uh, I think the original release in Britain was with 20, 20 million miles to earth. Um, but in this case, I thought it was a tingler. Uh, William Castle's movie, um, and it was uh, the 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 the, um, the tradition in those days actually was that the film you get the main feature at six o'clock, the, the cinema opened, the 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 support would come on say half past seven, and then main feature repeated after that, and. I mean, I quite like the Tingler. Uh, it was you know, I'm fond of old William Castle's films, but. By the end of the opening scene of, of Night of the Demon, well, even before that, you know, I'd absolutely fallen in love with it. every single thing. That voiceover over the shots of Stonehenge at the outset, the, the, the splendid Trifton and Parker score, which I think you know, derives to an extent from Vaughan Williams. And above all, you know, um, Harrington's drive to Lufford Hall through the trees at night, um, you know, illuminated from beneath. I think in negative, possibly, though, those shots of the trees themselves, which, you know, much later concluded, uh, derives in part from, uh, well, I think it's a testament of Dr. Mabusa, which uses a similar technique towards the end. But, I mean, Tourneur was second to none in terms of using light and shadow and shade it, it, to, to convey the uncanny. And, and that, that opening sequence alone would, would have, you know, earned it a, a permanent place in my consciousness. But the entire film, you know, just, just, well, it got to be so powerfully. It was one of the very few films I went to see for a second time the following night, but it was only on for three days. Such was the, the, how, you know, theatrical uh, distribution in the suburbs of Britain tended to work in those days. So I went back and saw it again and, and, and loved it just as much. Interestingly enough, um, I would then actually catch up with it every time it showed up on Merseyside. And there were a lot of suburban cinemas back then, several dozens. Um, it would always be the same copy, which was interesting, because um, these were the days when, you know, no, no longer so with obviously with digital technology. Well, you get different problems now. But in those days, a film could get chewed up in the projector at the cinema, particularly, the, the you know, the more it was shown, uh, the, the, the more um, uh, partial it might have become. And in this case, there was, it was in particular, the thing that I always spotted was that... Um, uh, Dana Andrews' little bit of recitation from The Ancient Mariner um, would always go um, like one on a lonesome road doth walk in fear and dread because he knows a frightful fiend doth, doth be tread. And you know, that little bit would, would always be missing. So it's obviously always the same copy. The other thing that would always get chewed up was the end of the reel. So in fact, the, the most of the wind, de the wind demon scene, uh, which you know, Turner apparently had to fight uh, producer Halley just to get proper wind machines and to get a, a proper you know uh, windstorm. Nearly all that was gone. So you got the beginning of that, and then all of a sudden they're inside the house. Um, but also, this is perhaps crucial. Um, there's a bit of a myth that. In America, the film was always cut down by about eight minutes, whereas in Britain, it was originally the long version. Not so. 
It was never seen in Britain in that version either on the original release. It was, I mean, it was, presumably it was submitted at one point to the, the censor in the, in the full version. But by the time you look at the British Film Institute's monthly film bulletin, you'll find that the running time that they're reviewing is the shorter one. And of course, it's not merely shorter, it, it's, it's, it's substantially reconstructed or, you know, the, the structure has changed to a, a certain extent, but maybe we'll get onto that later on. Anyway, enough for me, guys, say something. <laughs> um, would you say that um, this being the first film that really uh, um, grabbed your attention, I mean, has it really um, influenced the rest of your experience as a cinephile? To an extent, yes, because in fact, it was, uh, there were very, uh, the, the atmosphere of the film was such that, and I, you know, I, I got to this so early um, that pretty well everything else was found wanting. And just the very occasional film, uh, particularly black and white, um, that, 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 that had that kind of atmosphere, there were very, as far as I was concerned, at least there were very, very few and far between. So, for instance, um, some of the universal movies of the universal monster films of the 40s. I mean, I mean Frankenstein meets the Wolfman has that wonderful opening scene with you know the, the leaves blowing through the graveyard at night. But then it sort of it, it then becomes rather more brightly lit. And this tended to be the case, particularly with, I mean, in fact, there's a number of films like that. Aren't the Black Castle has a sort of similar approach. You get you get the tremendously atmospheric opening, and then then, then things become you know ra ra rather more kind of squarish and straightforward, which is not to denigrate either film. I mean, the, the couple of films that did do it for me. Um, in a similar way, purely in terms of, of, of the use of, of, of monochrome and, and atmosphere generally. Uh, City of the Dead, that John Moxie most certainly did. And when I finally got to see it uncut, um, uh, The Mask of the Demon, La Masquera del Demonio, the Mario Bava. Um, that those, I suppose those two really got to me. But, but yes, I, I tend to go, because I, I, I mean, again, you see, I'm adolescent at this point, 14 going on for 15. So I wanted a, I, basically, I wanted a horror movie either to be, to be frightening or shocking or horrifying, but atmospheric would do, certainly. And th those that didn't have that, um, you know, just didn't get to me. And it was rather later that, I, that I'd come back to the films that I hadn't particularly liked at the time and found it was obviously so much more in early Universal movies, for example. Um, but it wasn't until, oh, good Lord, several years later. So it would have been the early early to mid-60s when the, uh, the Valutan films got a reissue in Britain. And I was able to pick up on those and find just as much there I mean, in, in terms of subtlety and and reticence and and you know the the, the way that the uncanny is conveyed that that, that Turner does so well knife the demon uh, and of course the roots are all there in the films he made with Val Newton. And perhaps you can take us back in time to this this period when you've discovered the film. I'm thinking of this kind of duality you find between modernity, we're in the post-war period. Mm. Um, on one hand, the film opens with those beautiful, still quiet images of Stonehenge and we feel something ancient. But mm. then we immediately cut to the air travel. We have the American who's arriving in the old country for a conference and they're going to talk about new forms of science and, and health treatment. And there's always this kind of dynamic tension between the old and the new. Yes, yes. And I can imagine perhaps at the time that it felt all the more palpable. Could you maybe tell us about how it felt at the time and how perhaps your relationship to the film and that theme has evolved years later? <laughs> 
Yes, well, yeah, yes, I mean, that's exactly right, because I mean, I, I already knew the M.R. James story, of course, I mean, all, I knew all of M.R. James from quite an early age, and there is a sense, in one sense, obviously, that James reads nostalgically now, because it, because it, it is set in, well, in Edwardian times, but, but I think it's crucial to say that, you know, in terms of, the, of its readership then, it wasn't, it was, it was happening to them, but I know, I, indeed, the, the, the sort of academics were often central to to James, as indeed they are to the Knight of the Demon, um, were very much his 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 immediate audience. They, they were the people to whom he was reading the story at Christmas. Um, but you get things like, you know, for instance, the 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 advertising um, plaque on the bus that that proves to to you know to to contain a, an uncanny message. I mean, that's very contemporary for its time. And as you say, uh, Knight of the Demon is very contemporary in terms of, but basically it has the immediacy that it needs. I think because the crux for me about M.R. James is not so much the, um, the sort of academic background, although that's obviously very important, but it's 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 the sheer sense of, of, of terror that he conveys, the, the invasion of the everyday by the utterly supernatural. And that's very much, I think, what the, the Turner film gets. Um, th th there is this conflict between rationality and the supernatural that's never entirely resolved, I don't think. Um, although it's fair to point out that, you know, Turner did not want to show, well, the, we, we, there's, there's, I know there's a controversy about this. I think we can probably accept that he didn't want to show it at the beginning of the film so 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 explicitly. Um, and therefore, because as, as the film now stands, we're kind of left waiting for Dana Andrews to catch up with what we already know. Whereas, you know, the, the way Turner planned it, presumably we would have had the same experience and not being certain of, of whether the supernatural exists or not. And certainly the, the very gradual introduction of, of things that aren't quite right, you know, that wonderful shot of, of Carswell leaving the British Museum Library, for instance, you, know, you can't quite figure out what's wrong with that image, but there's something visually very wrong with it, the way that we're seeing it, or, you know, the, the footsteps in the hotel corridor, another wonderful scene. And obviously that extended set piece with um, with, with, with Holden uh, leaving Lufford Hall, going going back through the woods, despite you know advice from Carswell, who for once seems you know to give him a, a bit of benign advice. So presumably he knows he won't take it, and therefore that's the, the double whammy, if you like. Um, but yes, that 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 tension between, but, but I think there's still there, you know, the tension between the rational and the uncanny um, is conveyed so carefully. And, and th there is such detail, particularly in Dana Andrews' performance, this very, very gradual, you know, shift toward a certain, at least a certain agnosticism with regard to the supernatural. But he keeps pulling it back and, and thinking, no, 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 actually, it's all, it's all been a, you know, a, a, a bad, a, 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 you know, it's a, a series of conjuring tricks. Um, uh, no, I mean, I, the, the, it's it's a wonderful case of structure, I think. Um, I mean, James had it, Lovecraft had it, and certainly this film has it for me. But, but, but there's indeed a lot of um, um, splits, I think, uh, mm -hmm. in, in this film between uh, the American uh, in Europe, yes. which yes. is something that I suppose Tourneur could relate to, uh, being French-American so. himself. And, yeah. So was his father, actually, uh, who was also a film. Maurice, yes. Yeah. Turner, who uh, yeah. made in 1942 a very interesting uh, horror movie called La Main du Diable, the hand of the, or the devil's hand. Yes, uh, yes. 
so I mean, the, the, this uh, dichotomy is, um, uh, I think, at the root of the movie, and and mm -hmm. I think it's especially interesting in the character of um, Holden, mm -hmm. uh, in relationship to, as you mentioned, his uh, move towards becoming someone who uh, accepts uh, seeing what he doesn't want to see at first. And the yeah. first part with, of him we see in the film is with um, him covering his eyes in the plane, not wanting to see the light. Yes, that's right. That's crucial, isn't it? Incidentally, one, one thing just occurs to me in passing as a parenthesis, that one film that it seems to be does, does do a demon in the way that, you know, we, we, we gather from his interviews Turner would have loved to do, is the car, you know, it's Silverstein, the very end. That, you know, it's, it's virtually just glimpsed in the, in the, in the conflagration, isn't it? And uh, one suspects that, I mean, whether that's a, a, a conscious homage, I do not know, but it certainly re reminds me of, you know, of, of what Turner used to say about, about his, his intentions, original intentions for the film. Now, funny enough, I mean, I'm just thinking out loud here, but because this was a film I've been talking about earlier, well, actually uh, last weekend, um, a, a film that seems to parallel this quite a bit as American Wilbur in London. Where again you have you know, the the American in this case two of them you know it, it coming to old England and very much again the invasion of you know uh, very much modernity by by the old ways I mean it, it's almost as if a you know a, a sort of hammer gothic in a way you know the, the scenes in in the in the village in the in the inn and and on the moors uh, has I mean the moors obviously you know, the hand of the Baskervilles after all in a way and now uh, invaded what was then uh, the 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 1980s Britain of you know Margaret Thatcher so you, you you've actually got um actually you've got a sort of sketch of it you've got you know the the um the 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 money classes who have you know dinner parties you've got the nurse who could barely survive on her income and you've got the homeless on the embankment all of whom become in different ways you know victims of of the werewolf but this is by the way i had never thought about that and it's perfect too with this idea of you know sort of separating those who have seen the beast and those who haven't and mm, what mm. that means and the kind of doubt and discussion that surrounds that and yes, that yes. brings me back to what you mentioned about um the demon in in night of the demon and this whole debate about to show it not mm, to show it mm, and mm. the kind of production dispute um that happened surrounding that topic I know that everybody has an opinion about the yeah. demon. I must admit to having a bit of a soft spot for the demon. It reminds me of some of Ray Harryhausen's wonderful work and yes, uh, I yes. think that kind of mix of almost um, cute charm and also something terrifying about yes, it. Yes, yes. you, where do you stand on the question of showing the demon? Oh, I'm, I'm for him, but, but I mean, that's partly probably because I grew up with him, you know, I, I never realised he wasn't meant to be there, you know, so I, 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 I appreciate him very much on, on the first viewing, and I think, you know, he does have this, this look of a medieval demon, uh, you know, as, as obviously is demonstrated in the engravings that were shown in the course of the film, um, I, I'm a, I, I tend to think, is there not a bit of stop motion at the very end, above the train? Um, I mean, that does look, no, it's not Harryhausen, obviously, because he wasn't involved, but, it, you know, it could have been, I think, it's, you know, it's up to his standard, if you like, or, you know, Wilson Bryan, for that matter. 
Um, I mean, I, I'm not, I don't know there's any credit for the animator, actually. Um, I'm sure we could find it somewhere, but I, I don't think it's there in the, I mean, there's a very good book, Raising the Devil by Tony Earnshaw. I'm sure it's probably in there somewhere if anybody's ever able to find it up. I'm sure he, he must have done so. But no, no, I'm, 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 I'm in favor of the demon, you know, um, you know and, and even the, the sort of relatively rickety demon who, who you know, who's seen approaching through the woods in, you know, before he makes off with poor old Harrington. Even that has a sort of nightmare quality, I think. The very fact that it's, you know, slight, the movement is slightly wrong um, actually works for me. And, and the, out, you know, the outlining in flame and smoke, you know, that, 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 that seems to be a very powerful image. Um, I mean, oddly enough, you know, the, the fact that it's, it's, it's moving, you know, slightly wrong, I mean, in a way, picks up or is picked up by i mean not directly obviously but it seems to be there's an echo or at least a similarity you know in some of the sort of jerky apparitions that have become something more of a staple of of well I suppose japanese horror movies to an extent and also to an extent of of, of you know european and and um and american british you know that kind of thing but, but then again you see um to extend this a little bit i i can actually even a, even a film that has a a pretty well wholly unconvincing monster may do it for me because there's somehow a, a dreamlike quality to it, you know. So I mean, Attack of the Crab Monsters. I've always, I've always liked that. I've always felt that that, that again, there's a, there's a kind of relentlessness to that film, the kind of um, sense of everything closing in, the island becoming smaller, and he, even the, the the well, to put it mildly, not entirely convincing crab monsters still, you know, seem to me to have come out of a sort of strange, you know, era of nightmare. Um, I mean, you know, I do have my limits. From hell it came and the and the tree stump monster, I think, is is more fun than anything else. But but but, I'll, the, but Corman, I think, knows how to do it somehow. And Tuller certainly did. Go ahead. No, no, but it's just that the ontological nature of the monster remains uh, unstable because each mm. time we see the monster, um, it could be understood as the subjective point of view of the person who is being yes. Uh, yes. Uh, attacked by the monster itself. So it's never really uh, absolutely clear if this is reality or the reality of the mind. Sure, sure, that's right. that's right. I agree. I don't feel that it takes anything away from the ambiguity about the real existence of the demon. All we know for sure is that it must exist in mm. the mind of those who are seeing it. But, uh, you know, even at the end, there's an uncertainty with maybe it's better not to know. Well, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And so, so how do you how do you feel the, the film fits within um, um, the filmic production of the 1950s because it is I'm thinking about all those movies of the time from the United States that were really about UFOs there yes, were yes. about science fiction yes. and to my knowledge there were not that many films that were about the occult at that moment in time not really, no. And in fact, you know, the supernatural would only be picked up by Hammer. Um, well, shortly after, we? We, we then get Dracula and the whole explosion of, of the Gothic. But but no, I'm absolutely right. You know that 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 that, that uh, it, it is. A, well, I suppose the 
the, 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 the great previous British film would be uh, Dead of Night, but of course there's more than a decade in between, between the two films. And even, even in Britain, it, it's mainly science fiction horror, the, the great Quatermass uh, duo and X the Unknown, and that kind of thing. Um, and so, no, in fact, the, 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 um, the, the occult is, 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 is a new thing, basically. And um, presumably we owe some of this to Charles Bennett and you know, his, his screenplay. I mean, Hal E. Chester claimed that he'd written the screenplay, but then he, he, claimed, he virtually claimed he directed the film as well. I think we can safely assume he did neither of those things, actually. Or maybe he tinkered with the script a bit. Um, but I don't, we've never really seen the original Bennett script. It probably doesn't exist anymore, I suppose, which was supposed, supposedly had a lot more comedy, a lot more golfing, supposedly, um, which I, I think we probably do without, just as we might possibly do without the golfing in Dead of Night at a pinch, but perhaps that's unfair. Um, but no, the, 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 I, I, no, I think the film is seminal. Again, but of course this comes presumably comes partly out of uh, Turner's own belief in the supernatural, because he, he certainly declared that he, that he did. And certainly, I mean, I, I Walked with the Zombies, one of the all-time great films about the supernatural, I and mean, it's, it's one, of the, one of the gentlest, most delicate. Also, it, I think it's fair to say it's kind of, it's, well, I think we can say it sort of respects the, the supernaturalism that it presents. Um, just as in a different way, obviously a Christian way, uh, something like Stars in My Crown, the, the Tenor, you know, presents a, a miracle, it, it virtually in the same, with the same sort of reticence and, and delicacy that you see with the supernatural in the, in, in the Tenor Luton films and, and, and in many stretches of, of Night of the Demon. So I think, you know, it, it's, it's one of those great instances, I suppose, of a, of, of, um, a kind of collision of, of perfect elements to make a, you know, to make a greater whole. And, and obviously Turner was the, was the perfect director of that film. And it's so interesting that you mentioned his interest in the supernatural. I'm thinking of this wonderful, both comedic and, and frightening scene in the film when Dana Andrews' character in Peggy Cummins' film um, attend a seance, which yes. is sort of orchestrated by Carswell's mother. And mm. it's such a throwback to the kind of Victorian spiritualist uh, movement with everyone around the table singing a song, Cherry Ripe, to yes, yes. spirits. And it's both very silly for, for the modern viewer. And at the same time, there's that kind of eerie line that we walk again with the uncertainty of whether this has really functioned or not and with the information that that's been revealed and yeah. you think we can imagine that Turner was a bit of a spiritualist himself that he may have subscribed to to this kind of seance mm, perhaps so perhaps so yes I mean I suppose it's worth pointing out that that Pretty well, I mean, this is maybe just coincidental, but who knows? I mean, but pretty well contemporary with the film is the, is the novel, The Haunting of Hill House, the Shirley Jackson. And of course, that has a seance in it too, um, which was not that common in, in prose fiction either at the time, I don't think. I mean, as you say, it had sort of fallen out of fashion, mostly with, um, with, 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 well, probably Edwardian uh, fiction was the last to pick it up. Although actually, Agatha Christie has a, a, ve a very powerful and disturbing little story called The Last Seance. Uh, if you've not read that, it's, it's definitely worth checking out. I mean, it's a, a departure for her because, of course, you know, she very seldom dealt with anything but the rational, but um, she did this, this book of supernatural stories of which that one is probably the best. 
Um, and this um, this interest in in sciences, uh, and I would argue with the character of Carswell, uh, possibly in people like Alistair Crowley, that is mm -hmm. to say, um, with a certain um, form of uh, supernatural that is more akin to the beginning of the twentieth or the uh, the end of the nineteenth century, as opposed to uh, the other sort of. Um, um, magic I see in the film, which is, uh, and I'm coming back to what we were saying earlier, to uh, new technologies and to the plane. I mean, uh, Holden yeah. is flying at the beginning of the film, isn't he? Yes. Uh, you've yes. got telephones, you've got electricity, you've got cars, trains. I mean, all of those mm -hmm. technologies are, are, I mean, uh, I think it's Clark who used to say that uh, uh, any sort of highly developed technology can be understood as magic. Uh, right. I think that the clash between these two elements is at the root uh, uh, of the film and creates something powerful. Very much so, yes. And clearly, you know, the electric light and the hotel corridor can't dismiss the the, the presence of the demon or whatever whatever is there. So, I mean, it's it's, it's an interesting one because I'm, I mean, somewhere I, I can't offhand remind remember who said this, but there was a comment somewhere or other that you know the electric light has 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 kind of dismissed the ghost because it's clearly isn't true and it never will be true you know the supernatural well as far as i can see will always be with us in in some form and certainly you know in 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 in, in the exploratory imagination um and you know far far from far from dispelling the ghost uh the you know the electric light and you know these days the internet let's say you know they're, they're not done away with it they've to give it another another conduit and so we have films like pulse where, you know where, where 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 the the internet is absolutely crucial to the supernatural element and in the film it it feels very much like the telephone is the the continuity of this kind of creepy form of communication. Mm. Of course, we've got the ancient with the, the runic parchment that's passed, but at the same time, there's a lot of telephone communication in the film. Okay. There are sort of ambiguous messages, meetings that are arranged, uh, bad news that's relayed via the telephone. So it does feel like that kind of supernatural, horrific communication continues. Um, yes, oh, yes, I think so. I mean, uh, well, it's worth remembering that you know that there have been. A, I mean, this isn't a directly a ghost story or a supernatural story about the telephone, but there have been quite a few of those. I mean, Robert Aikman wrote one uh, called "The Telephones." In fact, I think about no, no, no. He wrote a story called "Your Tiny Hand Is Frozen." And I wrote the telephones. Good Lord, you can see you can see severity before you. Can't remember my own fiction. There you go. But, but just to, to to jump on what you were saying about um, electricity, I know that uh, you are as much a fan as I am uh, of Twin Peaks. And I was thinking oh, yes. mm. to walk with me. And the fact that electricity yes. is understood as the modern fire. Yes. Uh, and I think there's a direct link between these two uh, uh, forms of, uh, of elements that can burn you, but one coming from the origin of mankind and one very contemporary. And you can yes. find this in, in, in Twin Peaks, but you can definitely find this in Night of the Demon as well. That's right. Well, of course, the, the connections it made explicitly with with the, the falling of the the power line, you know, on on Pearl Harrington. So, and uh, and in fact, you know, the, the, those are the two interpretations of of what happens to him. So, sure. What do you think about the the tempo of the film? I was really struck by the the, the hectic nature of the film. It, it grabs you right from the start with that car racing through the the forest, and it keeps yes. going like this. And, yes. and, 
if I, if I may just add a, a little something, I, I, I really like the fact that you've got this surface of hectic time on top of something uh, that is really about deep time with monoliths, mm. with things coming from archaic times. And uh, there's a tension there that is very powerful, I find. It is, because it's different in the two versions of the film, isn't it? Because, you know, the, 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 the short version is much more headlong, if you like. Um, and and the, 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 most of the major scenes have got, you know, bits taken out of them. Um, uh, and, and sometimes, uh, crucially so. Uh, and obviously, we, we miss the entire uh, crew, uh, very important episode of the visit to the farmhouse to get the, you know, the, the family to agree to have uh, Rand Hobart, um, you know, put under hypnosis. Um, but yes, I mean, time is, well, because the, 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 the single most crucial image of that is the, is the clock at the station that skips ahead past the, the time, that in theory, um, is, is the last moment uh, Holden can possibly catch up with Carswell, but uh, not so. But of course, it's a, it's, it's a classic Hitchcockian suspense device, I think, among many other things. But clearly, as you say, thematically related too. Um, I'm thinking here about the question of, of adaptation, and even mm. though in the, the film, you know, there are a lot of modern elements that are absent from M.R. James's short story, and obviously this is a feature-length film, so the drama has to be drawn out a bit longer in terms mm. of its temporality, but yeah. what do you think about adaptation as an author who, you know, I know that uh, several of your books have been adapted for feature-length films that mm. we've enjoyed, what do you feel about this adaptation from short story to feature-length film? Well, I mean, I think it, it, it just in, in, the, in more general terms, my, 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 my attitude that, you know, obviously while I've tested now because I've been filmed, I'll, you know, books of mine have been filmed, um, is, you know, I'd much rather have um, a, a, a film that is, is, you know, has power of its own rather than, you know, a dull, faithful adaptation of the original. And, you know, as you say, you know, to, 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 to build a, a feature film out of a short story, you, you have to expand it. Actually, I mean, I think it's very wittily expanded in all sorts of ways. Um, and I, you know, I, I think, and also, I, you know, I do think about the word objects at the time, you know, Peggy Cummings is is introduced as, as a sort of romantic interest. Well, actually, she's not really, isn't it? I mean, the relationship is, is very important, but there's never really a sense that they're going to go off together at the end. It's much more likely, you know, he'll get on his plane back to, um, to America and she'd be left alone, you know, having been uh, bereft of her, of her father. Um, but, but no, the, the, the fetching out of the characters, but above all, um, what seems to me to be an absolute masterstroke on the part of, well, we assume it has to be Charles Bennett, um, is, the, is the extraordinary fleshing out of Carswell as this enormously complicated character. Uh, I mean, he, he, he is surely one of the great villains of, of, of well, of film, I'll, I'll go that far. You know, the, 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 there's such detail, so many layers to the character. Um, and also, I would, I would, I'll, I'll also stick my neck on the on the block further and say I think that Neil McGuinness's performance is one of the great performances of British cinema by any standard. Um, so that that alone, I mean that that whole development uh, of the of, of the film, um, you know, seems to me to, to to raise it from you know a very good film to a great one, among other things. 
he's a very evil character, but at the same time, it's interesting to see that he has a very close relationship to his mother. Mm. He has this moment with children that is also very sweet. Well, that's right. That's right. Which, of course, is the reverse of the, the piece in the, of, of the scene in the, uh, the James, where you know, he's terrified the children with, with these horrid images from a, you know, from a, from a, from a projector. I was doing some um, um, etymology about the name Carswell, and oh. I came up uh, with um, the, the explanation that Carswell comes from a, a well um, of watercress. And um, I thought it was interesting to see, I mean, the, the, the image of the well that is connecting the surface of reality to what's in what's underneath to the unconscious, I think really applies well to that character, doesn't it? Yes. Oh, yes. Gosh, yes. Yes. Well, I, I, again, I'm in parenthesis. I remind them of the well in the in in the color out of space, the Lovecraft story, which is you know the the the, the classic <laughs> the classic horrific well. I think in in the literature, mm. and certainly it can be taken on one level as a as an image of the subconscious. You know, to, and I think we even have the the image of somebody sort of poking along, pole down it, and not being able to find the bottom, but just a sense of of something very dreadful lurking down there. And speaking of, of dread and other ancient uh, things, I was curious to know if you have other stories or films that might focus on runes and if you have any recommendations for us. I don't think we have any runic films, do we at all? I mean, I think there are there are films that parallel or, you know, are, are in some way similar to A Night of the Demon. I mean, I think Ringu, the, you know, the, the Japanese Film and that whole series, but I mean, um, I think the first film is, is 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 for me the most effective and the relatively speaking the simplest. And then we get obviously complication complication within with with the various sequels. But um, but the image, but the image of the of of you know of of Sadako crawling out of the television is 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 surely a, a, a classic instance again of the of the ancient you know invading the modern or you know in fact using the modern as a conduit to get to get into the into the into the everyday world um but that there you have i think something like the runic uh parchment you know the the videotape that has to be passed to to somebody in order to save you from the you know from from, from its dreadful consequences and the other film um, although this does not have a really, well, it doesn't have any physical device, but a film I like very much uh, is It Follows, um, which again, you know, has, has certainly has a sense of, of passing the, whatever it might be, the curse, you know, to, to, to somebody else in order to, to save yourself. But um, the, the, the method of that film is, you know, it's, it's so oblique that you know, it, 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 in many cases, you know, they, they can't be quite sure they've done it. And um, I, I mean, I still find the ending de of that film deeply ambiguous. I'm never quite certain what's, well, what has happened or what is going to happen, but it, you know, it resonates in the mind. And, and curiously enough, this is again just a, a, a passing thought. Um, the the image of the, the only the only the only graphic moment in that film is the is the un, unlucky victim seen on the beach in the you know in the opening passage of of it follows, which is very much like the climax of a James story, a warning to the curious, where somebody's found you know ter terribly mutilated and 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 battered uh, on a beach. Um, whether again this is a a, a conscious echo, I don't know. But those two films, I suppose would be the ones that I would cite as, as you know, not necessarily directly referring to Night of the Demon, but certainly being in the, in the tradition of, if you like. 
I, I feel slightly reassured now because I assumed that there must be loads of other <laughs> films and horror stories related to runes. And when I started mm. doing research, I found that it, it wasn't so easy to, no. to come up with titles. I mean, there is, I suppose, a, a parallel short story, um, uh, He Cometh and He Passeth By, by Russell Wakefield, H. Russell Wakefield, which has a, a, a similar device. And, and interesting, interestingly enough, while we, we are, I think we're reliably informed that uh, Carswell in the James story is not based on Crowley, uh, it, the, the character in the Wakefield story very plainly is based on Crowley. And it's, it's possible, I don't know this, but whether, I don't know whether, whether anybody does know that, you know, that the McGuinness character may be, be to draw to an extent on that, I'm not sure. But I, I really um, like the connections you've made um, with Japanese cinema and mm. with this idea of contagion. Mm -hmm. um, that uh, can be found. Um, and Marissa has written a book about Juan, which uh, has a lot of echoes, uh, I think, with Ringu. Um, but um, in all of the cases you've mentioned, um, what transpires, uh, as far as I'm concerned, is the idea of undecidability. It's mm -hmm. never really certain which way it is. I mean, we, we can never truly make our mind about the real meaning of what we've just seen. And I think that it goes back to M.R. James at the root, doesn't it? He does. I mean, he actually had this dictum. The, he would say that you know he, he would that 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 perhaps you would have some kind of a possibility of an explanation, you know, a rational explanation, but that wouldn't quite fit uh, everything in 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 the story. Um, and so you know the, the the supernatural is still a distinct possibility at the very least. And uh, I think on the whole, in terms of his fiction, he would tend to come down on the side of the the existence of the uncanny. Um, as indeed, you know, I think the, the I think the Turner film does as well. And, and and to a certain extent, it also connects the film to. I was thinking about the the last scene when we see the monster killing Caswell over the train. Mm. To me, it feels very Lovecraftian. Yeah. Uh, yes. Like Cthulhu, a uh, big monster that is enormous, coming from the depth of time. And, yeah. and yes. Lovecraft kept saying that uh, if we understood everything in the universe, we would go mind, uh, uh, mad. Um, and I think there's a, um, a nice parallel there between uh, what Lovecraft used to say and this undecidability that perhaps is the best way to stay sane. Yes, yes, yes. That's a lot to know. As you, as the, as <laughs> it's exactly the same thing, really. That's right. That's right. But I thought it was interesting what you mentioned about East Asian cinema, which, you know, has so long been interested in the idea of ancient curses, but I think mm -hmm. the 90s has been really, really talented at bringing to them, them to the screen and adapting them with in, in collaboration with modern technology, yes. curses that are transferred through video, through mobile telephones, etc. Um, and I'm thinking about the question of moral responsibility, where it's quite shaky in some of the East Asian films, because Sometimes one has to transmit the curse to a certain number of people to be able mm -hmm. to escape it. And so then there's the whole moral dilemma around whether you're going to give this to your friends and your family, to some unknown person. Whereas I think in, in Night of the Demon, it's rather clear this idea of exchange, of giving it back to the person who gave it and sort of taking back the responsibility of this curse. Would you say that yes. the moral issue is a little clearer perhaps in, in Night of the Demon? 
Oh, I think so. Yes, yes. Although you know, and it's interesting that there's a kind of um, sense that this is this is that Carswell himself may 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 somehow have been you know uh, responsible, or I beg your pardon, is, is has been the target in some way of of the same thing. At the very least, that the the powers that he's acquired, um, you know, bring this dreadful responsibility that he has somehow to transfer to somebody else. Um, but yes, I, I think that, that, that you know, that there certainly is that sense that, that, that well, basically that, that Dane Rogers is doing the right thing by, you know, passing it back. Um, and indeed, it, it, indeed, it's the, the, the Indian gentleman who pretty well um, makes this point. And indeed, so does Carswell's mother. I mean, this is, which is kind of a touching setup in, in the sense that, you know, she's, she's, she, she's, she's basically, um, you know, responsible for the death of her, her own son. But, but again, what else can she do? Having, you know, throughout the film, tried everything else. Um, I mean, that relationship is actually very powerful. I suppose it's no accident that Charles Bennett, you know, wrote several films for Hitchcock as well, with, where, where the, you know, the mother figure is often paramount, you know, whether, whether it be, you know, Psycho or North by Northwest or Marnie, for that matter. Um, so, you know, again, uh, there's more the hint of Hitchcock, I think, in The Night of the Demon. And do, do you think that the film has influenced your uh, fiction writing? Has it had an, uh, do you think that some of your books may have had elements that came uh, directly or indirectly from it? Probably indirectly, although the, though not so much thematically as, 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 as the use of reticence. But then, you know, that again comes from, from M.R. James. So I suppose, you know, the, the, the two of them kind of, you know, became focused in my, in my stuff. Sure. Yeah, it'd be surprising if, it, if they weren't. Can you tell us a little bit about um, writing that you have coming up? Any projects that you're currently working on? Did we get the release date right for The Lonely Lands that we can look forward to that in 2023? Yes, yes, indeed. It's it's August 2023, um, preceded actually by a reissue. They're doing Flame Tree. My publisher will be doing um, Ancient Images, which is my novel about a lost uh, Karloff and Lugosi 1930s British horror movie and and uh, and, and and what underlies that um, but yeah right now Lord it, uh, it never ends you say oh, the pressure of pressure of fiction uh, untold stories so I'm, I'm somewhere I don't know two-thirds maybe through the first draft of of a new novel called the incubations um, and curiously enough, that's about, now you mentioned it, or now, now I'm reminded of it, that's about the, the sort of transference of a curse in a way. Um, I mean, I, won't, I, I don't like to talk too much about works in progress because, you know, they're not finished yet. But, but, but suffice it to say, that it's about somebody who goes to visit a, a twin town. You know, it's quite common you know, that, that a, a town in Britain says twinned with a town in Europe. And, um, and what he brings back unbeknownst to himself with him, which then begins to, um, well, basically, he, he's a carrier for it, and it begins to make itself felt in the community. Um, so, you know, nightmares from abroad, basically. So somehow this sounds a bit like Night of the Demon, doesn't it? <laughs> Indeed. And what happens when we travel? What do we discover there? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Would you say that this has been somehow influenced by the current pandemic? This one, no, not really, although I see your point, but no, the lonely land certainly, or not just directly. I mean, I, I, I mean, some of us had this discussion actually about, you know, um, in the midst of the pandemic, a bunch, a bunch of writers, um, you know, do, are we now obliged to 
at least to acknowledge it in our fiction, you know, can, can we can we get away with with not doing so? Well, it seemed to me that, you know, you read, I don't know, Hemingway or Virginia Woolf or Scott Fitzgerald in the 20s, and you wouldn't get much sense of the Spanish flu epidemic. So I would say, no, we don't have to include it. And, and I wasn't going to, in fact, but The Lonely Land, um, I, mean, I was developing the idea before I actually started writing the novel. And it suddenly became apparent to me, well, actually the, the COVID pandemic was the absolute background for what happens in this book. And I had, in a sense, perhaps it had suggested itself, you know, in the development of the book without my knowing this. I mean, just waiting there to be in my, in my development of the book, I mean, not in reality, just waiting there to be noticed. And so, yes, it, that does become the, um, the, the, well, basically the starting point of what happens in, in that novel. Um, but, you know, that's, that's, how, that's how my subconscious works. It, it, does, it does stuff before I know it's doing it, but that's how I like to do it, basically. Fantastic. And I know that us readers are, are really, really looking forward to the release of these new books. Well, I hope you like them. I hope you like them. And of course, there's also, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll remind Frank, there is, um, there's the, my monograph on the Three Stooges to come. Oh. <laughs> and with luck, that probably would be next year as well, I think. Oh, fantastic. Can you tell us a little bit about the book? Well, it's my personal journey. I mean, it's, it's a very strange one. You see, um, an old friend of mine, sadly no longer with us, but John Owen, who was a, was a, a fellow film buff and, and writer, he was published by Arkham House as well. Um, and and he, he always preferred the three students to Laurel and Hardy. Now, I, could, I, I found this impossible to, to believe personally, but there you go. Um, and I hadn't seen very much of the Stooges, and I hadn't really engaged with them at all. Um, came, well, when Channel 4 opened up in Britain, uh, the, the TV channel, it originally, you know, was meant to be an sort of an alternative channel, and so it did all sorts of stuff that other channels were not doing. And they were programming the Columbia shorts, the Stooges, um, in the early afternoon. And, I, and I, I, I would watch them. And again, I just, I thought, you know, I don't, is this funny? You know, I just, but I, I kept coming back to them. This was the thing. There was something there that kept me coming back. And when Sony started issuing these very splendid um, slipcase sets chronologically of all the Columbia shorts that they made and of it all the Stooges, not because obviously there were more than three Stooges, hence my, hence my title, Six Stooges and Counting for, the, for this monograph. Um, I, I thought well, I was interested enough that I, that I bought them as they came out and watched them. And I was then invited by my publisher's PS Publishing, or one of my publishers, you know, who have, a, have, a, have a, a, a movie monograph imprint called Electric Dreamhouse. And they wanted me to do a book. Um, and I, I really said, you know, I wasn't clear that I could do an entire book on a single film. And then I thought about, well, you know, what about doing the Stooges? And um, the, I then went back and began seriously to look at the films again, having now got the, you know, the entire chronology, and then sought out everything else I could possibly find. And the more I looked, the more I saw, you know, which I mean, as far as I'm into the function of, you know, fiction and, and of criticism, you know, to look again at stuff we've taken for granted, or one of the functions. And so I, I just became fascinated by them. And, and, um, the, the extraordinary business of you know replacing the Stooges, the third Stooge throughout the career, and then this extraordinary business that you know kind of prefigures Plan Nine again in a way, 
of, of well, what, um, what Sam Raimi calls the fake Shemp. You know, the guy with his back to the camera uh, playing Shemp because Shemp has died in the interim and they've got to use all this footage somehow. And then there's the bizarre a sort of um, increasing tendency of Columbia to recycle footage. So eventually you get, you know, 20 minute movies, 10 minutes of which or more consist of stuff you've already seen and reconstructed and reworked like a, you know, a first draft, you know, in, in, into a final draft. And all this became fascinating to me. And so ultimately, you know, more than 70,000 words worth of a kind of personal journey. Um, so, well, I mean, I hope, I hope what I, I hope what happens is it makes some people look again at the Stooges, um, because I mean, I, I think it's it's Bridget Fonda who says, uh, if you don't like the Stooges, that must be because you must be because you've never really looked at them, mm. and I'm inclined now to agree with her. And and for someone who's never watched a movie of the Stooges, could you um, suggest one to start with? Oh, yes, I'd say if it's going to be a short film, then Disorder in the Court, um, which has, has, one, has one of Curly's great, great, great episodes uh, in the courtroom, which, again, you see this recycling thing. Um, Jules White, who was there, the, well, was the main director of Columbia Comedy Short um, and, and became their main director, had previously filmed this scene several years ago because he, he, he was a great man for recycling his own material with Buster Keaton, no less. And if you compare the two, I think, it's, I think it is fair to say that Curly's timing is the equal of Buster's and you can't say fairer than that. So I'd say, yeah, have a look at Disorder in the Court and, and that... Um, or, or there's one called, and there's a very, it's a very odd title because it's meaningless both in terms of the film and in terms of the character called Violent is the Word for Curly, um, which is not particularly violent at all, actually, but has all sorts of inventive stuff and, and makes clear, and both of those films do, and this is one of the points, I think, is that they were by no means only about knockabout. There's a great deal more to them than that, and you'll get a lot of what else there is to them in both those films. Great recommendations and, and high praise. Thank you. Mm. Well, you bet, you bet. Before we close this um, uh, first episode of our podcast, um, is there one question about Night of the Demon that we... Uh, didn't ask and that you wished? <laughs> no, I don't. I think you did remarkably well. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm sure there's, you know, there's infinitely more to say about the movie uh, than we've said, but well, that's what makes it such a great film. So, you know, it, it's, it's, it's infinitely rewarding as far as I'm concerned. You know, come back to it every time I see new things. And there's that splendid... Um, uh, British uh, Blu-ray set you know, on on uh, Indicator, which has every possible version of the film you could possibly want. You know, all four edits, technically speaking, and including the you know the two major differences in the the long and the short version. And um, you know, well, all I can say is you've now made me want to go and have a look at them both again. Thank you. And that reminds me too that unfortunately these days we don't have the experience to watch too many double features. Anyway. Mm, but of course, we're free to, to program that at home ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having joined us for this uh, uh, first episode of our podcast. After Images. After Images. Uh, it's uh, always a pleasure to chat with you. Well, this is my pleasure, Marisa and Frank. Thank you very much for having me. Let's, let's do you. it again soon. Thank you.
Yes, with pleasure. And we really look forward to the new books and good luck with your, your current projects. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to After Images. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow After Images podcast on social media.